Chris here with another quick note. Do you remember the like bad sound quality from last week? Well, you're in luck, because it's back this week, because we recorded these episodes back to back. So sorry about that. Much better stuff planned for the new year. Thank you for listening. So, Jordan and I just celebrated our ninth wedding anniversary, uh-huh. and we went to Cluster... Clusters, Clusters and, and hops. hops. Yeah. Have you been there? I haven't yet. Okay. So we went there. Super snazzy. Like you go in and it it reminded us of this place in Montgomery because it was just wine for sale. Like uh-huh. it could you couldn't see that there was like a little quiet dark restaurant right. in the back. But anyway, so we went there uh, and the food was delicious and the waiter was extremely knowledgeable, as is the case I think with places like that. Yeah, usually. Um, but I'm not a drinker. The place is called Clusters and Hops, uh-huh. so I'm at a disadvantage automatically. Right. Um, I'm sure Jordan enjoyed it. Jordan enjoyed <laughs> it, and I enjoyed the food. Uh-huh. But what was funny was our waiter told us about the specials, and one of the specials was bone marrow. Mm-hmm. And then he proceeded That's to describe. Okay, well, he proceeded to describe what it was mm-hmm. and like how it's made. And I sat there and I thought, is this? The moment I become a vegetarian, if this the day happens, I mean, I adore meat. Like right. I like Jordan likes bread. Mm-hmm. I need meat. I need steak, yeah. protein. But I was listening to him describe bone marrow, mm-hmm. and he was doing it as his job, like right. to like kind of inform us and educate us. And I thought I am either gonna throw up right here, or I'm gonna make a conscious conscious decision to like never eat meat again. Yeah, the first time I broke down a whole chicken. About two thirds through the process, I was like, I never want to eat an animal again. Yeah, no, it, it, <laughs> like it's a really affecting process. Yes, the way he was described, I won't even describe it on air because I want to save all of our listeners. Bone marrow and asabuco always makes me think of that episode of The Office when they go to the dinner party and Jan is like, the asabuco needs to braise them for six hours. <laughs> six hours from six hours ago. Or six hours from right now. <laughs> right now. It's a very good episode. episode 151 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Chris Jensen, and it's the end of the year. And I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. Forget everyone else's best of lists. We've got ours. We've got ours, and this is it. And this is it. Do we have a sponsor for this? Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is it. <laughs> I am so excited, although also it's a little painful to make your list of top books of the year, especially, especially some books feel like they were so long ago. True. We talk about, I don't know if you feel this way since your life is part bookshelf, part academia. Oh, more so probably. But it just feels like so much happens in a day here that January 2017 feels like two years ago. It feels like we lived two years. It's a different lifetime. Yes. Um, my life has changed a lot since then, and I just don't remember. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I started my list, mm-hmm. and then like looked back to, I hate how gross this is going to sound, but I looked back on my hashtag uh-huh. and realized, oh no, like I have left off some books that 
were excellent because I read them so long ago I had forgotten about them. That's right. And there were probably some that you read last year that yeah. came out this year yes. that you then had to go back and find. Yeah. So it was a painful process, but I do think it's always fun. Mm-hmm. I love looking at other people's best of Definitely. lists. And so it feels only right and natural that we should have ours. And ours overlaps with most of the other ones, just to be fair. Yes, um, to be fair. We, we read the same books that most other people making these best of lists do. Yeah. But these are ours. These are our favorite books of 2017. And we are very happy to share them with you. So How are we going to do this? I was just thinking, um, <laughs> let's just go back and forth. Okay, that's good. Cool. So you start. Okay, I'm going to start. And full disclosure, Chris and I already had a conversation. I've got a long list mm-hmm. and a short list. Yep. So this is my short list. And at the end, I'll get my five runners up. Cool. So these are my top ten. I'll start with no particular order, is, right? Yeah, no. Mine are in no particular order. Okay, yeah. No particular order here. Um... The first one I'll talk about is The Essex Serpent. The Essex Serpent. This is one that I really want to read. I think you would like it. It seems like it's my speed. Yeah, I love it. The reason it's on my list is because it was an outside genre pick for me, Mm -hmm. set in the 1890s Mm -hmm. in Britain. It was a British novel first Mm -hmm. before it it made its way to America. Um, I love it because it's a lot about faith and science right. and those two things kind of butting heads and crossing over one another. Mm-hmm. There's also a little bit of romance, but more platonic friendship between mm-hmm. male and female uh, that I really appreciated. The writing is well done. It would make a great book to be reading in this season because because of where it's set, it feels kind of cozy. There's a Loch Ness monster type element. Yeah. So like I said, kind of unusual for me and yet the faith and science portions are exactly what I love to read about. So yeah. that's, that's one of my favorites. That's what attracts me to that one too. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, the, you'll enjoy it. The one day when I get to be able to. <laughs> um, so my first one here that I'll talk about, I don't want to start, I, don't, I, I kind of want to save my best for last. So maybe... Oh, like what's that song? A particular order. I don't know. What is that song? I'm going to save the best for last. I don't know that. It's like an R&B song. Okay. Oh. I have... So my first one on my list is The Wanderers by Meg Howery. Um, We both read this one. Yes. Um, We both liked this one. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think we both had a similar criticism that there's like a fifth of this book that didn't need to be there or that just didn't go here with the rest of it. Correct. Um, It's still a very good book though. Um, it's family, it's space travel, but not actually, mm-hmm. um, simulated space travel, or is it? We're really not sure. And that's one of the central tensions of the novel where there's a lot of ambiguity about what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Um, the characters are not sure, the reader's not sure, and that really propels the story for, for most of it. Um, and I really like these characters a lot. The characters were what sold me mm-hmm. on the book. Um, especially the mother and daughter, mm-hmm. the American mother and daughter. I think they resonated most with me. I loved that daughter character so much. <laughs> I related to her a lot. And the mom was just a like exactly what you want in kind of a, a, a lead for a book like this. I just finished this short story in Ramona Ausubel's upcoming collection, uh-huh. so I'm reading it. Um, it doesn't come out until March, but there's a short story that reminds me very much of oh, The wow. Wanderer, so I think you're going to like it a lot, because I, I like that concept in a short story format, um, this idea that you're in this 
kind of what's the term for it? I guess you're in this simulation, simulation. but you can't mm-hmm. figure out is this real or is it not real? And, and does it matter? Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, super cool. What's your next one? Okay, so my next one is This Is How It Always Is. Oh, yeah. Uh, this was a book that completely took me by surprise. It's a book I hesitate to give too much plot mm-hmm. um, description of because I think my reading experience was enhanced because I didn't know what I was getting right. into. This was also the first ever audiobook I ever listened to oh, yeah. uh, the whole way through. So I this was an audiobook experience for me, and I'm really glad. I think it would be... It, um, just as enjoyable in regular book format, but the narration of this one was really well done. But the story, it's a dif- dysfunctional family story at its heart, um, but there are issues that are discussed that are so important to our time, and I feel like fiction can allow us a little bit more empathy and understanding than sometimes nonfiction could. Mm-hmm. And I love, this was one of those books where the author's note enhanced the reading for me too, um, where I found out that this story is really personal to her. It's fictional, um, but it's very personal and based in the author's real life. Uh Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this one. It was very easy to read. Like once you start, you don't really want to put it down. I do remember having a little bit of issue with the back probably last quarter of the book mm-hmm. wasn't quite as compelling to me. Sure. Uh, but overall, this I thought was an outstanding, well-written, interesting book. Do you have another one? I do. I have The Almost Sisters by oh, yeah. Jocelyn Jackson. Um, I adore Jocelyn Jackson for Southern literature. I think she is funny and smart and writes about the South really well. But her last few books I had felt kind of ambivalent about mm-hmm. uh, after adoring her first two. Uh, two or three, I guess. Um, and then the Almost Sisters completely just sold me. My book club had our last meeting of the year last night, and we all agreed that this was one of their favorite books of the year as well. Uh, one my book club read together. There's a lot of conversational topics that you can delve into with your book club with this book. Um, Jocelyn Jackson just writes about the South in a really realistic way. She doesn't shy away from the things that make the South difficult. Mm -hmm. But she also, I mean, I think I said, I read this book and I read portions of it out loud to Jordan because they were so funny and Mm -hmm. so true. Um, There's just this scene in, in a church at a potluck that just was laugh out loud hysterically funny Mm -hmm. and then there were parts in the novel that really made me tear up Mm -hmm. and it made me feel things and not all books do that and I just really enjoyed this one this and this is how it always is are very readable this is not um maybe award-winning literary fiction but I think really delightful interesting well-done work that I'm so glad I read this year yeah and on the on the topic of southern books that make you feel a lot of things, Rabbit Cake. Oh yeah, that's on both of our lists. Rabbit Cake by Annie Hartnett is just so good. It's so um, good. I finished it yesterday. Oh yay! Uh, I I taught it this week, the okay. last week of class, my women in lit class, um, and so I started it Sunday, finished it last night or yesterday morning. It is so, so, so I'm good. I'm so glad you liked it. Um, I love the narration. Mm-hmm. This is really what propels the story, right? Yeah. Um, Elvis, this 11-year-old girl who just lost her mother and is not sure how and why she died. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that happens on the first page. Well, like, first chapter. Yeah. Um, so not a spoiler. Um, and how she conceptualizes the world is so interesting because she's 
she's just wrong about everything, <laughs> but in a really charming way that makes sense. Oh yeah, it's as logical. you're following along, it's very logical. It's, it's logical. It's just all founded on faulty premises. I was about to say, but brought to its eventual conclusion, it right. makes no sense. Which is which is how, how a kids childhood work. right. <laughs> brain works. Exactly. Um, she to me is so real and relatable. Yeah. We've talked before on the podcast that she is reminiscent to me of Scout. For sure. Uh, and I mean that in all the best possible ways. Yep. I did have a couple of customers who read this one and felt not necessarily ambivalent about it, but I think when you say Scout Finch, there's expectation of To Kill a Mockingbird right. level classic. And it's not trying to be it's that. not trying it's so different it's a very and different kind of story you and i oh i know i talked about how funny this mm-hmm. book is to me it's laugh out it's funny, so funny but it is i must admit dark funny it is dark funny, and so i had sure. a customer i think maybe who might listen to the podcast i'm not sure but anyway she came and told me that she finished the book and she enjoyed it but it wasn't funny to her it was deeply sad to her and she's older and probably viewing Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a sad story. This, it is. this child has lost her mother and is coping and grieving, um, grieving through that. It's a it's a book about grief. Yes. It's about like this girl who's been told that grief that getting over the loss of a parent should take eighteen months. Yeah. And so she's like. So she tracks it. She's tracking it. She's got a calendar on her wall, and she's tracking these eighteen months and yeah. keeping, keeping record of everything she does and everything that she feels and it, like. That doesn't make any sense. No, <laughs> like, no, and to an adult, like works. right, an adult knows. Uh, this book, I, I almost, I just wish it had gotten even more. It did I mean, get praised. It got press, yeah, it, and it is on some of these best of lists, yeah. best debuts at least. Yeah, best yeah. debuts. But gosh, I just thought it was so good. No, I did too. Easily top ten of the year. Good. Okay, that's one on both of our lists. Excellent. Then. So now you're you're down to six. Yes. Right. All right. Yeah. So what's next? Okay. So Little Fires Everywhere, mm-hmm. I think is an obvious one for me. I said before, and I'll say it again, I think Celeste Ng is a genius. Right. So often the second book is really the test, mm-hmm. right? Just to see like, yeah, yeah. Uh, is this, are you a one hit, one hit wonder? You're going to rebottle that lightning. Exactly. Which by the way, it's fine if you can't. Yeah. Uh, one really awesome book is it's amazing. more than most more people than most ever will contribute get. to the world. Yeah. Um, but... I also had people who read everything I never told you and wanted to know if this was different or better um, because some of my customers, many of my customers, loved everything I never told you, but I had a couple who didn't like it as much. Mm -hmm. And what's been so fun is to watch them read Little Fires Everywhere and universally. It is just a really great book. That's excellent. I'm hoping my book club will tackle this one in 2018. Uh, We'll see. But... The characters, this is another dysfunctional family novel, but I read a few of those this year that fell very flat. Little Fires Everywhere does not fall flat. Like That's it is legitimately really good. Really good. Um, and has you, the opening scene, just immediately, you can't read the first few pages of this book and not want to keep going. And unlike some other books that are even on my top 10, this is one that's compelling the entire way through. The back half doesn't lag. It, the whole the whole book is really well done. Every word matters. Um, it's it's fantastic. I'm really glad to hear that because people had such high expectations they for that did. book. They did. Um, and it's it's great to hear that it kind of passes the test. Yeah. Um, another one that once you start it, you can't stop, and every word matters. That's on your long list, I think, yeah. and made my short list. Um, the end we start from by Megan Hunter. Yeah. Beautiful, gorgeous book. I'm so glad you like it. Um, it's a 
it's a long poem, really, more than yeah. more than a novel. Oh, that's a great way to put that. Mm-hmm. I thought of novella, but you're right. It's very poetic mm-hmm. in it, in how she has written it, too. It's sh- short sentences yeah. um, arranged on a page in an atypical way. You might have three chapters on a given page. Yeah. Um, they're very short and lyrical and don't need to be meaty to be weighty. Mm-hmm. Um the, the language is economical in yeah. the best possible way. Yeah. Um, and it's the story of a mother and her newborn baby um, in, the, in the midst of this kind of cataclysmic flooding event in the UK. Mm-hmm. And it's never really explained what it is, nope. and it doesn't really matter. It just matters that it's a crisis. Mm-hmm. And that she and her baby are trying to figure out how life works now in a world that has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is beautiful every step of the way. Um, I thought about assigning it in my class, but it didn't come out until last month. Yeah. And so I didn't want to risk them, like pushing the pump date back or yeah. something and me not having a book. Yeah. Um, but man, I, I want to put this in everyone's hands. You know what I love about it is it's experimental and mm-hmm. we're going to talk about maybe another title on both of our lists that, that yeah. reads that way. Um, but it's experimental, but because of its length, I think you can put it's it in a lot of people's hands. Yeah, yeah, you can put it in a lot of people's hands because they're not going to get bogged down in the language. Right. It's something you can try and see mm-hmm. if you like it. And so rarely does that happen, right? Because a lot of times we're dedicating ourselves right. to, to three, four hundred pages. Exactly. And, and people. This is not that. No, this isn't that at all. And I feel like people will maybe unintentionally turn their nose up at, at longer books, and I've done it too, right? Uh-huh. My time is precious. Um, if I know it's not really my genre, I'm going to avoid it. Well, this way you can try it, even if it's outside your genre, right. and you're probably going to be reward, rewarded for trying because right. the length is perfect. Um, and it's not sad. No, it's very, I think <laughs> it, it's a hopeful novel in a dire seeming situation. Right. It starts in crisis, but like by the end, yeah. it's full of so much hope. Yeah. So much life. I hope you could, we t- started off at least this school year talking about your mother-son novels. Yeah. And I feel like since then I have read a couple a couple of mother-son yeah. novels. Um I was thinking of Love It or Love It this time was about Fierce Kingdom. Right. And I it hit me after I had finished it that that was that's another mother son hmm. story so you may you may have a new curriculum. Ooh, all right. All right. <laughs> if I ever teach this again, yeah. I'll know. All right. What's next for you? Um, next for me is another kind of obvious one: Sing Unmarried Sing. Yeah, this is definitely one of your favorites of the year. I think it might be if I had to pick a number one. Um, it would be this one. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be a there might be a tie. Might be a tie. But but this is up there. Jasmine Ward again genius mm-hmm. literally every fiction book she's written has won the national book award uh-huh. i mean it doesn't, get, <laughs> it doesn't get more amazing and um and talented than that um but sing unburied sing i think some people have asked me can you read that one standalone absolutely i read salvage the bones years ago i'm a reader who i hope i compliment comprehend what I'm reading pretty well but that I've read a lot of books since salvage the book and I had no problem diving back into the world of um, deep rooted Louisiana Mississippi Mm -hmm. um, dark southern gothic literature Um, it is beautifully written uh, uniquely written and it's hard. Like it's not an easy. This isn't an easy give to everybody right. book. It's not. It's not. Um, it's, it's not one heavy. I have. I was about to say it's not one I just hand sold, you know, to the masses. But if you can wrap your brain around 
the difficult content and and the struggle of this family after Katrina, the opening chapters, speaking of our, speaking of um, bone marrow, Mm -hmm. the opening chapter is the skinning of an animal and you immediately are put into a, a, a setting and a place. And she does that just by opening her book up with this description of a, of how to skin an animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you immediately know what kind of family we're reading about, what kind of characters we're reading about. Uh, this is another book that takes a ghost-like character right. and makes them a main character. And I saw that done a couple of times this year or in a couple of different books. And that could go so terribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't. And every voice in this book matters. I believe it's told, I read it a few months ago, but I think it's told in three voices. Mm -hmm. And I think I said when it first came out, every voice counts. You don't want to skip to the next chapter. Like every character matters. So um, this is, this won the National Book Award. It's no surprise. It's on my top 10. And I think it might be my top one. Um, Much lighter fare from me over here, but um, The Impossible Fortress by Jason Reculak. It was one I read toward the end of the summer, I think. Yeah. Um, and read in like one sitting in the store on a slow afternoon, I think. And I loved it. It was so good. It's a period piece. It's set in the eighties and it's about the, these teenagers who are trying to program a video game. Uh, and a, a boy who it's kind of a, um, what's that movie where they like, they like take the ugly girl to prom. Is it, she's all that. that? Yeah, so it's like that, except it's, you know, Rachel Lee Cook. <laughs> she's, she's not an ugly girl. Glasses, I don't know. Uh, I have a lot of problems with that whole show. But anyway, it's kind of a she's all that situation, okay. but a really mean-spirited one okay. that then turns around into something nice and then turns around into something not nice and then turns around into something nice again. Okay, so complicated. Very complicated. Um, I think it's a really raw and honest look about look at kind of teenage misogyny mm-hmm. and deals with it in a very very good and constructive way. Okay. Of these boys who are mad at this girl for no reason. Okay. For absolutely no reason. Um, and then considering that she is a person with her own complex individuality and struggles that they don't have any idea about by the end, um, which is interesting and good. Um, I read this as YA. Yeah, I was going to say... And Price Point suggests it's not. It, yes. And I just had one of our listeners, who's a YA reader, and she's a regular customer, mm-hmm. Kimberly Berg, mm-hmm. uh, read this one, has feelings, so she might want to talk to you about sure. it. I don't know. But we were talking about it at book club last night, and she was like, this is not YA. So I think it's just got I, teenage And characters. I really think it is. Oh, I think um, it, And I don't, I don't read a lot of YA, Maybe so it's that's young fine. adult in the true sense. It might be young adult in the true sense. I wouldn't sell it to a 12-year-old. Right. But I would absolutely sell it to a 16-year-old. Oh, you would? 100%. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, there's nothing content-wise that is at all alarming to a 15, 16, 17-year-old. All right, I'm curious. Um, I haven't read this one, but you really did like it. I love this one. Mm -hmm. And I think we've sold a number of them. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah, super good. Um, but maybe we'll have complex conversations about who the intended audience is. Um, I say teenagers. Okay. And I then... want to put this in as many teenage boy hands as I can. <laughs> okay. And then other readers say adults. So use your judgment readers. Use your judgment readers. Um, another one of mine. This is our actually um, top selling book of the year. 
excluding shelf subscriptions, mm-hmm. author events. Mm-hmm. So just our best hand-sold book of the year. We were the lucky ones by yep. Georgia Hunter. Um, I can't say enough good things about this particular title. World War II novels are a dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. And then every so often you just get one really brilliant one. Um, All the Light We Cannot See was that novel. Mm-hmm. This isn't all the light we cannot see. It's not necessarily poetic mm-hmm. or um, Pulitzer Prize mm-hmm. worthy, but the story is so beautiful and hopeful, and it and she bases it on her family's history and experience. And so this is another book where the author's note really matters and adds so much to the story. Um, but my entire book club adored this book. We have put it, I have put it in the hands of so many book club readers because this is one of those unchampioned books that mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't think it got enough praise. Right. And I wonder if that's because World War II novels are a dime a dozen. And so reviewers, maybe, you know, every so often you get the All of the Light We Cannot See, but you've got the Alice Network, the Nightingale. Right. Like you've got, I mean, a plethora come out every year. Right. But this one deserves to be put at the top of the list. Like, it's really excellent. Um, I can't believe... I will be so curious to see if Georgia Hunter has another book in her. Right. Because this one was her family story. And right. I'm just curious, will she write another book? Right. You know, is she a writer or is she a historian? Was this her family story and now she's done? Or does she have more to offer? Because I thought this was really, really a great book. And I'm and so glad I'm I I'm astounded by how many we've sold. Yeah. Like um, it's it, I think it's into the 40s now, mm-hmm. um, which for our small little bookstore, is a lot. It, for no author event, right. no no book signing, like that's pretty big. Right. So love this book. That's pretty good. Um, one that I started my class off with, um, I think my only nonfiction of the year, yeah, um, is Dear E.J. Oele, oh, okay. or A Feminist Manifesto with 15 Suggestions yes. by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. We both read this one too. It's one that you can easily read in one sitting, um, super short, but it's just about what it, it, it's, it's structured as a letter of advice from, from one woman to another, um, and adapted from an actual letter that she wrote to her friend who had a baby, um, and about That's how, right. how to raise a daughter in the modern world and what to teach her so that she can grow up and be strong and be independent and be a, a person. Talk about timely. Talk about timely. <laughs> um, and maybe I mean, this book came out early in the year and maybe that was a harbinger of things to come yeah. in a really good way. Yeah. Um, I started my class off with this. Every person in the class was just so inspired by it. Yeah. Um, like, Oh, this was so good. I read this online, but then I went and like bought a copy of it because I want to have it. And I thought, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have done your job. Because she posted the full text of the book on her Facebook page. Oh. Like as a status. Oh, I, I didn't know. know that. Yeah, I didn't either until one of my students told me on the first day of class, did you know? So then like a bunch of people didn't buy the book and just read it on Facebook, which I think is bonkers. Yeah. And I checked it. It is the full text. Yeah. Um, but then several of them went out and bought the book after reading it because it's it was so, so good. I was about so to important. say, it's so thought-provoking and it's a great gift. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent gift. We should restock it. We should restock it. Yeah. Um, have some for holiday season because it'll be perfect for, yeah. for gifts. Um, if you have um, daughters graduating in the next oh, yeah. 
six months too, or or sons. Honestly, yeah. everybody should read this. Yeah, it's really important. So. And what was the name again? Dear E. J. Awele. That's right. Uh, my only nonfiction to make the list after much thought and contemplation, some are on my long list, mm-hmm. but my only short list title is option B. Uh-huh. Uh, I love Sheryl Sandberg. I will stand by loving uh, Lean In. Mm-hmm. I know not everybody felt awesome about that all right. of the time, and there are valid critiques there, but she actually addresses some of those critiques in option B. Um, it is a reflection on resilience and life after loss, and... What's, what would be, I think, a, an interesting pairing is to read When Breath Becomes Air, which was one of my favorites. God, was that last year? Yeah. Uh, and maybe then, two. Maybe two. That's why I can't figure out. Was that two years ago or one year? But to read When Breath Becomes Air, which is still one of the most beautiful, heart-wrenching books I've mm-hmm. ever read, and then pair it with option B mm-hmm. so that you can see there is life and hope after devastation. Mm-hmm. And... Cheryl Sandberg is completely qualified uh, of talking about this because she lost her husband. And I really appreciated that she has this personal element and this personal story she's telling and sharing, things that she's lived through, anecdotes that are real and true and personal to her life. But then she also balances balances it with science and research. And that's what I love about her books. Uh Um, That's like my favorite kind of nonfiction where you have that kind of sort of personal memoir element, but you also have really well-researched, well-constructed um, premises. So yeah. I just I just really enjoyed option B. And I will say again what I said when I first read it, which is that um, Katie Couric's interview with her, mm-hmm. I believe it is on Katie Couric's podcast, I want to say, is where I listened to it. It is outstanding. And Jordan Jones may have even teared up while listening to oh. it. It's really powerful. So option B, my only nonfiction in my top 10 this year. I have one poetry in my list, um, and it's Calling Wolf a Wolf by Kava Akbar. Um, I picked this up because I know Kava personally. He's a, a PhD student at Florida State, like I am. Um, although only kind of sort of like I am because he's not done with his degree program and has a great job at Purdue with <laughs> Roxanne Gay. Oh, oh okay. Um, no big deal. he is a, a real star <laughs> in the poetry world. And this is his debut um, full collection. He had a chapbook come out last year called Portrait of the Alcoholic. Um, this book has been everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it was getting advanced praise from Roxanne Gay by um, John Green, like... Everybody was talking about this book before it came out. It did finally come out. It did not disappoint. It's a gorgeous collection that's about addiction and about faith um, and about just kind of understanding what being a whole person is that that involves struggle and involves inconsistency and contradiction. Um, and sometimes I think things like that are best rendered in poetry. Yeah, most a, effectively. Rendered. Most effectively, at least, yeah. Um, this book was named one of NPR's best of 2017. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Um, so it's, it's, it's getting press. Okay. And so here's a little bit more, a, a very little bit more. So if you're going to read some poetry. But if you're going to read some poetry, I highly recommend this collection. It's called Calling a Wolf a Wolf. Okay. Um, I've got one more and then I think we've got a mutual one. I think so too. One. So Young Jane Young, again, yeah. this is one that people are probably sick of me talking about. Um... However, not everyone loves this book. My book club felt very ambivalent about this, but I'm going to continue to sing its praises. Uh, I think it's 
ooh, more timely now than ever, question right. mark. Yeah. Uh, um, but it is about a young woman who ha- has an affair with a senator, uh, a congressman, and then what we get to read are the different perspectives of the women involved. So the perspective of the mother of the daughter, perspective of the wife of the politician, perspective of the woman as an adult, and perspective from her child. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, every voice is strong. Uh, some may disagree with me on that, but I stand by it. Um, it was somehow extremely witty and, and funny, but also truthful. And sometimes I think that can be hard to pull off. Um, sometimes I think when you treat subject matter lightly, right. it loses yeah. um, its it intensity. Very often too. Yeah, and I felt like this was not a book where that happened. I'm also pleased to report that a couple of men I know read it and really loved it. The cover does make it to me seem like it's a a female-centric book, and it's certainly all the voices are women. Um, You're getting their perspective, but that's nice because often we don't get the women's perspective in a situation like this. Exactly. And I just felt like I read it long ago, way... Yeah, months and months ago. Way before... um, I guess the hashtag me too movement or anything like that. But if that is at all interesting to you, and if you still haven't read young Jane young, then I think it's time for you to give it a try. And then I, my number one of the year, um, and your tied number one of the year, um, is of course Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders. It's welcome back old friend. (laughs) It's been so long. We haven't talked about you in months. Um, after talking about this book for like every episode for two months. I didn't realize we had talked about it so much until a customer came in and was talking to me about it. She had just read it and, um, she said, well, y'all talked about it all the time. And Mm -hmm. I I was like, did we? Because that feels so long ago now. It was almost a year ago. But I guess you're right. Because I think, I think it came out in February Yeah. and we read it before that. Right before that. Um, so Yeah. It's been it's been a while. So so here we are to talk about it some more. Some more, and you've heard everybody talk about this book. It won the Booker Prize. It's on everybody's long list. Did it win the Pulitzer? I don't think so. Okay. Um, although I didn't really check that, so I don't know. Mm. But I don't think so. Okay. Um, it's been on everybody's long list for best of the year, if not short list. And it's deserving. It's absolutely deserving. I've never read a novel quite like this one. Don't let this be to you what the goldfinch was to me. Right. <laughs> Which is, right. still haven't read it because it was just everywhere. And it was one of those books I thought, I don't need to read that. Everybody right. else has. It's Visit from the Goon Squad, too. Yeah. Like, it's, it's this Pulitzer Prize winning book. That Ooh, I still that haven't done. Still haven't read. And look, and I know you'll love it when you do. (laughs) I need to go ahead and pull a trigger. But uh, Lincoln and the Bardo, I will say, I don't hand sell it to everyone because it is, it isn't easy reading. No, Um, and and we've been upfront about that. Yeah, we have been very clear about that. I recommend listening to the audiobook, but Mm -hmm. I know Maddie, one of our booksellers, did not like listening to the audiobook. She much preferred um, reading her physical copy. My husband Jordan loved the audiobook because it does kind of sound like a play. It's dramatized, yeah. right? Um, you, I know, read the physical copy, mm-hmm. so there are different ways to read this, but there's no getting around the fact that it is complicated. Oh yeah. Um, and so it's experimental and difficult in in content and in form. Yes. Um, because it's about death. Mm-hmm. Like all of the narrators, and there are a lot of them, yeah. are ghosts in the cemetery where Abraham Lincoln is mourning his son. Mm-hmm. Um. It's 
it's sad. Do you know the scene that I... it's also deeply funny. Well, there are deeply funny parts, but what does the feeling I am left with after reading that book all these months later is a deep longing and sadness. So the scene that still sticks out to me... The priest. Is the priest. Yeah. All these months later. That is still the scene that was really difficult. Yeah. And I'm so glad I read it. I think I wound up reading it twice through because it was so well done. It's gorgeous. Um, people, nobody, nobody has asked me that. I was going to say, people have asked me. No, it's not true. Nobody's asked my opinion, but I think a comp title is Dante's Inferno. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. it's, it's the same kind of subject matter. It's heavy. It's, it's not, r- it's not political in the same way that Dante is. Right. Um, and doesn't need to be. No. Um, but it's theological. And, and experimental. And experimental, yeah. for sure. The scene that sticks with me is when the the two ghosts enter Lincoln's body and are trying to like move him and get him away from, from the grave, yeah. but they just feel everything inside of him as yeah. they do. And they're like, Oh, the weight of this man. Yeah, and, and the burden of this man's mind. And we and we talk about that all the time in history now, yeah. right? About the burdens that were placed on him. But the the literary way of putting that yeah. and working through that. I again I said genius like three times, but George Saunders is a genius. I stand by it. <laughs> George Saunders is one hundred percent a genius. Um and very funny. Like you see interviews that he's done, he is inter- hysterical. His interviews are really good. Uh he's a quirky guy. Mm-hmm. All right. Um you wanna call it? Yeah, those are my top ten. Maybe Chris will put um, I'm gonna put your long put list long in list the show notes. In the show notes or in our Patreon yeah. Mailchimp or something. But yeah. um, those are our top ten. Can I your tell top you, ten, my top seven. Can I tell you the theme? Yes. So many books about death and grief. Yep. I mean, we did that episode early in the year. We did, and I think it February. I think it affected March. I, one of those. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if it was intentional or purposeful, but almost every book. Yeah has something to do with death and grief and uh yeah mine too huh yeah i mean that's not shocking yeah Anyone no who knows i mean us, we're attracted to those types of books anyway but it does feel like oh interesting i cannot wait to see what 2018 brings dumpster fires oh i hope not I hope, i'm choosing to move into hope i hope so too <laughs> i hope for hope yeah all right is a production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. It is produced by me, Annie Jones, and Chris Jensen, and edited by Chris Jensen. If you're interested in purchasing any of the books we've talked about on this episode, you can do so at www.bookshelfthomasville.com forward slash shop. Thank you so much to Forlorn Strangers for the use of our theme music. It's called Bottom of the Barrel, and it's from their album Forlorn Strangers. Learn more at forlornstrangers.com. And if you'd like to support From the Front Porch on Patreon and gain access to exclusive bonus content like our monthly podcast on popular opinions, you can learn more at patreon.com slash fromthefrontporch. Or if you'd like to listen to full episodes, look at a full back catalog of our show and access some of that Patreon or work content, you can do so at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. 
This week in the bookshelf, a funny thing happened. During story time, I read The Night Before Christmas, mm-hmm. which my father read to us every Christmas Eve. And so I'm like having this nostalgic moment and flashback. And Santa is always called Saint Nicholas right. in that poem. And this little boy raises his hand, who's Saint Nicholas? And I said, oh, it's Santa. And so, and he just looked astounded. And the remainder of the reading, every time I said Saint Nicholas, like he was in the back going, Santa, Santa. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>